I want to turn to the book of Revelation. All right. Revelation chapter 2. Uh, so if you've been with us uh, for the past couple of Wednesdays, uh, we're talking about eschatology in its entirety. We're talking about um, the end times or the last things, uh, as the word means. Um, and even within that, we've started now this series uh, of uh, Jesus dictating letters to be written to seven churches. Um, and at the very beginning of the book of Revelation, uh, John mentions uh, that he sees uh, Jesus uh, and Jesus dictates these letters to him to be sent to seven churches. Uh, we looked at Ephesus. Uh, last week we looked at Smyrna. Today we're going to be looking at Pergamos. There's Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia and Laodicea. And as we said last time, last couple of weeks, these are actual churches. Uh, they actually existed. Um, and, you know, when Jesus is speaking, he's speaking to the actual churches that existed in history. But also we can take the application for us today. Um, and we're going to continue that on uh, to look at uh, the compromising church. Uh, Revelation 2, verse number 12. Uh, read along with me. The Bible says, uh, And to the angel of the church in Pergamos write, uh, these things says he who has the sharp two-edged sword. I know your works and where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. And you hold fast to my name and did not deny my faith, even in the days where Satan, so even in the days in which Antipas was my faithful martyr, who was killed among you, where Satan dwells. But I have a few things against you, because you have there those who hold the doctrine of Balaam who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed to idols and to commit sexual immorality. Thus you also have those who hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. Repent, or else I will come to you quickly and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna to eat, and I will give him a white stone, and on the stone a new name written, uh, which no one knows except him who receives it, uh, the compromising church. I want to look first of all um, about the God of this world. But you see, we begin this letter with Jesus Christ. Um, as he begins all of the introductions to the seven letters, uh, he introduces the letter by introducing himself. Um, and here when he's talking to this church, it is written, these things says he who has the sharp two-edged sword. Now immediately when you hear those words, we're reminded of the scripture in Hebrews 4.12 where it says the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow and is a discerner of thoughts and intents of the heart. So here we see Jesus has the word of God with him. And of course he has the word of God because not only does he have the word, he is the word. As we see in John chapter 1, we see that in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. In the same chapter, you go down to verse number 14 and it says, and the word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. So of course he's going to have the word, he is the word. And the idea we have of this sharp two-edged sword is one of separation. Jesus said, I have a sharp sword. It is of separation. So here we see Jesus wants to bring division. 
Now, I say that because many times I stand behind this pulpit and I mention division with a negative connotation. Many times I speak about division and I say it's a tool of the enemy, how the enemy tries to divide the church, how it divides families, divide marriages. Division is one of the tools of the enemy. But here we have to understand that not only sometimes division is good for us, sometimes division is necessary. Jesus said in Matthew 10 and verse number 34, do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. Now, we don't really carry swords nowadays in this day and age and so on. But listen, a sword was meant as an offensive weapon. A sword was to divide things. It was to attack. It was to offend. So Jesus here is saying, listen, there's sometimes on occasion, I'm going to bring some division. Sometimes I'm going to say some things and it's going to separate the men from the boys, the women from the girls. Sometimes I'm going to say some things and it's going to divide people. Jesus said, I didn't come to bring peace. I came to bring a sword. Can you imagine how that viewpoint would be received today? If a politician stood up and said, I didn't come to bring peace, I come to bring a sword. How many know he's not going to get voted in for election next year? Can you say amen? That's the viewpoint sometimes that is not received very well because we're all about unity. We're all about, let's all just hold hands and sing Kumbaya. Let's all get together around a campfire. And let's all, doesn't matter what you believe or what you believe, let's just get together and we can just be together. Everything will be okay. But that's not what Jesus came to bring. When he's speaking to this church, he says, I have a sword that's sharper than any two-edged sword. Jesus goes on to say, I know. Now, in all the letters as well, he has an I know statement where he says, I know your works. And to this particular church, he's saying, I know where you dwell. In other words, I know your circumstances. I know what predicament you find yourself in. I know the society that you live and work in. Jesus says, I know. I know where you live. I know where you are. Then he goes on to say, where you are is where Satan's throne is. He's saying, where you dwell is where Satan's throne is. Remember, this is a letter to a specific church. And this church in Pergamos was located just north of Smyrna. And Pergamos was one of those churches or cities, shall I say, sorry, that was considered the center of pagan worship. I mean, in the time they had an altar, which was a, a, a huge, massive altar. It was like set on a hill and it looked like throne-like. And it had a massive altar set to the Greek god of Zeus. And they used to worship Zeus. They used to worship the Roman emperors. And Jesus could have been referring to the physical place that he's writing the letter. But how many know Satan still has a throne in this world in this day and age? How many people know that? In John 14... Verse number 30, Jesus is speaking and he says, I will, not, I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. And speaking about judgment in John 12 and verse 31, he goes on to say, it says, now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. So Jesus is confirming that there is a ruler of this world. And that's why uh, when the devil was tempting Jesus in the wilderness, he was able to take him up on an exceedingly high mountain and show him all the kingdoms and all the, the glory of the world and say this in, Mark, in Matthew 4, 9. It says, and he said to him, all these things I will give you if you fall down and worship me. 
He was able to say that because it is in his jurisdiction to do that. This is a, a, a generation or the place that he rules. And this is something that comes out of Jesus' own mouth. So that's why when the Bible says in James 4, 4, whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. James just says it bluntly. You want to have friendship with this world? Well, God classes you an enemy. And when we're talking about the world, we have to define exactly what we're talking about. This isn't the physical world, the physical earth that we live in. You know, I've heard people say, I'm not friends with the world, so I just litter where I want. Global warming, I don't mean nothing. I'll drive the biggest diesel car. I'll cut down all the trees in the forest. I don't mind. This world's going to burn anyway. But it's not talking about the physical world. Listen, we're not here to just mash up the world. You know, I want, I want to live in a nice, clean place. You know what I mean? Don't be dumping your rubbish outside my lawn, all that kind of stuff. Pick up your litter. Come on now. It's not meaning that the physical world that he's talking about. So then it's not talking about the world. What's it talking about then? Is it talking about the people? Well, no, it's not talking about the people either. Because we know John 3.16, the Bible says that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So here it's not talking about the physical world. It's talking about the people that God loved. So when we talk about the world or friendship with the world, it's talking about the world system. In this world system, Satan has a throne that is set up to govern this world system. And as when Jesus is talking about the ruler of this world, he's talking about the ruler of the system that this world function in, functions in. Do you know there is an agenda behind most things that this world has to offer? People think oh, I was just neutral. This just is neutral. It doesn't mean anything. No, there is an agenda, a calculated agenda behind most things that we see in this world. The list is endless. I can talk about how children are being over-sexualized. I can talk about fashion nowadays where it just hardly looks like people are even wearing anything anymore. These days when you walk into work, I have to look at the ground just because the fashion is just, I mean, there's an agenda behind that. Come on now. I can go on to the music. Come on now. That we listen to them. Why is it that when we play certain things that it just rings and goes on in our minds? You just heard 30 seconds of it, and now when you're walking down the street, you're just playing over, and all of a sudden you're singing that song. The film and television industry, don't get me started on the agenda they have behind that. That's literally a pulpit where the devil can stand up and preach to the masses, and the list goes on and on and on. This world system has an agenda by it and is run by the ruler of this world who is the devil. And if you didn't know that, now you know. Amen. But despite all of that, despite the world system that we're part of, the world system we're here, uh, you can hold fast and live clean. That is Jesus's commendation to this church. He says in verse number 13, it says, you hold fast to my name and did not deny my faith. In other words, even with the pressure of this world system, you don't have to buckle under the pressure. Last time we spoke, uh, or last week we spoke about Smyrna, the church who was uh, uh, persecuted. Well, we have a little bit of a taste of that here in this church as well. In our verses, uh, in our scripture, there's a man named Antipas that is mentioned. Now, we don't know much about him from uh, the Bible or even from history books at the time. But what we do know is that he was a martyr. Uh, the Bible says that he was my faithful martyr. Jesus mentions him by name. And the fact that we don't know much about him, even in history books, um, 
It shows that he was kind of like a, an unknown person, but he was a superhero of the faith, so much so that Jesus mentioned him by name, and he gives him the title, my faithful martyr. And that word martyr in the Greek is the same word, witness. So that title, my faithful witness, is the same title Jesus used for himself. In Revelation verse number one, Jesus Christ is called the faithful witness. And that's the same title he used for Antipas. That strikes me that Jesus knows this man's name for one. And he's saying that he is my faithful witness. Would Jesus give you that title? Come on now, at the end of the age, will Jesus put your name there and say, here's my faithful witness. Here's my faithful man of God. Here's my faithful woman of God. While we live and work in this world system that Satan rules, it's able, we're able, we have the ability to hold fast. And if we do, we'll be given the title of faithful witness. So that's Jesus' Jesus's commendation to the church. Many times in his letters, we'll see that. We'll see Jesus commending the church, and then we'll see Jesus have a criticism. So his commendation to them is, listen, whilst it was all going down, Antipas got killed, you guys are still holding the faith. I commend you. How we know it doesn't stop there? Can you say amen in this place? Uh, we're going to deal with uh, doctrine here. So verse number 14, the Bible says, But I have a few things against you, because you have there those who hold the doctrine of Balaam, and who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things, sacrifice to idols, and to commit sexual immorality. Thus you also have those who hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. Doctrine. Now, doctrine is super important when we're following Christ. And doctrine, all it is, is a belief or a set of beliefs that is held and taught by the church. And many people, unfortunately, have some weird and odd ideas about doctrine. You have to go, you don't have to go too far to see people's doctrine have shifted from the word of God. And now we've got this weird new age doctrine that includes all sorts of nonsense. And the doctrine has got so weird that actually the truth now looks weird. People have got some weird doctrine that when they see truth, they think, now nah, this is not right. And I remember my mum, she was told, I remember I started coming to uh, the potter's house uh, maybe, what, 16 years ago. I stepped foot in the potter's house and I got saved, gave my life properly to Jesus Christ. Um, you know, my parents uh, got to know. And one of my mother's friends who went to um, uh, another church uh, found out that I was going to the potter's house uh, and she'd heard about the potter's house. And she said, be careful about that church because I heard they're a bit of a cult. I was like, pardon me? <laughs> what do you mean? And can you explain that? Why are they a cult? And he says, well, they're a cult because when people come into church, if they're dating and stuff like that, they say, listen, you can't be living like that. You should get married. They say, listen, you shouldn't really have children at a wedlock. They say, listen, you shouldn't be going around filling yourself with entertainment from the world and stuff like that. I was like, that sounds like righteousness to me. Come on now. But the reason why it's so weird is because the doctrines have got so funky that truth just looks weird now. So now when you follow Christ, that people look at you and think, you are just weird. Ron F. tells me, God bless him, he, um, he runs the, uh, the, the website and such. He said, he said he's seen some funny messages being sent through. People have been sending messages to our website 
talking about you brainwashing people here. You, uh, you, you, uh, all you do is get young people married quick. All, you do, all this stuff, sort, sort of nonsense. I'm like, dear Lord. So now people can't even see truth anymore and appreciate it. Because doctrines have gone so wide and so far that now truth looks wrong. And there are some things, listen, let's, let's, get, let's throw it out there. There are some things that we can agree to disagree on. Come on, there's some things that I'm not going to go to war over. Some things I'm not going to fight with you over. Listen, in Romans 14, Paul says that there's people that regard certain days over another day. There's people that will go and uh, go to church on a Saturday and worship God. There's people that go on Sunday. Listen, if you serve Jesus with all your heart, I'm not going to fight you on that one. You want to you observe Saturday? Fine. I, I go Sunday. You go Saturday. You serve Christ. I'm not going to fight you on that. Some people say, uh, uh, I, I don't eat this or I don't eat that or I don't eat this. I'm not going to fight you on that either. You want to do that? Praise God. Uh, we, we can agree to disagree on some of those things. But there's some principles uh, that are just not up for debate. Don't care who you are or where you come from, there's certain things that we should not be debating about. And that is where we see the compromise come in. Because if the devil can't get us to completely shift and move away from the house of God, what he will then do is see if we can shift and change the doctrine. And if he can change the doctrine, then it becomes a demonic tool. And we're told to beware of false prophets in Scripture. We're told many times to be aware of people that come and preach a different gospel. The whole book of Galatians is, is, is Paul reaching out to this group of church and saying, you've gone from the, the true gospel so quickly. How did that happen? Because people come and preach something different. You see, Satan tries by force. That's why there's so much persecution. But when they held fast, he had to change his tactic. And he successfully did that by changing the threat from external to internal. You know, sometimes it's so hard to see internal threats. You know, my kids crack me up, man. My kids, I love them. God bless them. Listen, you could go out to a park. Um, if you see like any other kids, any other kids mess with any one of my children, they like a gang, like a, like a, don't be touching my brother, don't you? I'm like, calm down, guys, calm down. My wife is telling me stories. I have to, I have to hold Michael back. If they're in the park, anyone external touches any brother, there's trouble. But at home, though, <laughs> internally, it's like you think, do you even love each other? What, what happened? Just yesterday at the park, you're willing to die for your brother, die for your sister. But now internally, you guys are fighting like your enemies. Because sometimes the internal threat is harder to perceive. Sometimes the internal threat is the one that is so successful. So where the devil will first try violence, and if he can't get that, he will try alliance. Think about that. Can't beat you, all right, I'm just going to join you. And instead of going all the way, you know what? You don't have to do that. Come, just come here, man. Come. It doesn't matter if you're, if you're come on, this is 21st century. Come on, it doesn't matter. If you, if, as long as you love each other, it's cool. Come on, it don't matter. Somebody tell me. Um, I was talking the other day, and I was talking about this whole thing uh, about sexual immorality and, and, and all sorts, fornication, cohabiting. And they said to me, listen, I don't personally see it as a problem. I'm like, okay, fine, but Jesus does. So, <laughs> what, what are we going to say about that? Listen, you might not see anything wrong with that, but Jesus does. Now, it says here, Jesus said um, that they held the doctrine of Balaam. The doctrine of Balaam. 
Now, to understand what he's talking about, we said the doctrine of Balaam. We have to go back to Numbers chapter 22 to 24 and also chapter 31. And those of you will know what I'm about to say. But Balaam was an odd character. Balaam was a, he was like a, a, a witch doctor for hire. <laughs> Uh, and there was a king, Balak, who, who uh, he was a king of the Amalekites, and, and the children of Israel were just against him. And he wanted uh, to overthrow the children of Israel. So he hired Balaam, uh, this uh, 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 prophet, quote-unquote prophet, uh, to kind of cast a spell or, or, or cast a, a spell, yeah, cast a spell over the children of Israel, curse them is what I'm trying to say. He's ordered them to curse them, and he hired him, wants to pay him money. And we know this story, for those of you that know, he hired him, and Balaam went to go and and try and curse the children of Israel, but God, listen, you can't mess with God's people. Can you say amen in this place? You can't mess with God's children. So when he tried to curse the children of Israel, those of you who know the story, as he tried to do it, all that could come out of his mouth was blessing. One after another, all that could come out was blessing, blessing, blessing. And it was so, it's such a weird character that he knows. He says, I can't curse them because God is restricting me. So he knows the power of God. He knows that. So that was why he, could, he couldn't do it. But the way that he was able to successfully, or the king was able to successfully overcome, so he couldn't curse externally. But he says, listen, send some women from Moab. <laughs> them, women, them beautiful women you've got there, send them. Send, just send them, you know, just send them, just, just dressed a certain way. Just go and send them. And the, the women of Moab went into the children of Israel, and the children of Israel cursed themselves. So they couldn't be cursed externally. But they themselves can be cursed. When they saw the women, they said, you know, we're going to do this, we're going to do this. We're going to approve, we're going to uh, uh, come in. And now they had a stumbling block because of what they did, because of how they allowed uh, 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 things to come into their camp. Sexual women, right? They knew it was wrong. Um, marrying the Moabite women, they knew it was wrong. But they said, you know what? They're pretty. Let's just come. Look, we can just intermarry. It'll be fine. No problems. And because of that, that's how um, the, the enemy was able to be successful. So the doctrine of Balaam um, is um, being able to accept accept things that should be unacceptable. Verse number 15 also talks about the doctrine, uh, it's also the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. Uh, and, you know, we don't actually necessarily know exactly who the Nicolaitans are, but it's believed that they uh, are similar, that they would approve of immorality. And it's believed by commentators that this kind of group of people would just uh, um, approve of certain things. And when I read that, you know, it started to bring to my mind that there is a T word today that is killing people or killing children. True, true religion or true relationship with Christ. And that T word is tolerance. Now, people would use tolerance to try and beat you down. You should be more tolerant. You are very intolerant. You know when somebody calls me intolerant, I say, thank you. God bless you. <laughs> I tell that as a compliment. Because tolerance today means that you are going to accept harmful things all in the name of tolerance. You should be tolerant of that. You should be tolerant of that. And the thing is, people who, who spout that word, they, they don't even know what it means. I remember my pastor was telling me a story. He took, you know, we, we take our children to school to learn, you know, maths, English, science and stuff like that. But we all know in school that they have all this whole bag of other stuff they want to teach our kids. Listen, that's my job to raise my child 
teach my children maths, things in science, nothing else, everything else, I've got it covered. But for some reason, the government thinks that we know better to raise your child. So my pastor was telling me that in uh, his uh, uh, daughter's school, um, they had a, a school trip to, um, I think it was a Sikh temple. Um, and, um, you know, they just said, okay, you're going to a Sikh temple. I don't want my daughter to go. Thank you very much. God bless you. Um, and that was it. The head teacher called them in for a meeting and said, listen, it's a shame that you didn't let your daughter come. That's very intolerant of you. And pastor was like, pastor's wise man. Pastor's like, intolerant of me? Well, that's very intolerant of you that you don't tolerate my views. I don't want to let my daughter go to a Sikh temple. That's very intolerant of you. Couldn't say nothing. (laughs) What can you say? Because it's only tolerance one way. Come on now. You must tolerate me. I'm not going to tolerate your views though, but you must tolerate me. No, tolerance. If you're talking about tolerance, then you should tolerate the fact that I don't want to subscribe to that nonsense. I don't want to wear that, that, that fake rainbow. Because I mean, listen, listen, the rainbow belongs to God. Can you say amen in this place? Come on now. Come on. Come on now. Let's preach it. Because all the devil can do is bring a fake imitation. Anytime God brings something, all he can do is bring a fake imitation. Listen, I, well, I don't want to uh, succumb. You can put as much pressure as you like. People are are succumbing to the word to just tolerant. Let's be tolerant. Jesus said, I will come against them with the sword of my mouth. That's truth. And you can't argue with the truth. Or at least you shouldn't argue with the truth. But people many days, many times, even people professing to be Christians, people who have the title of priest or bishop and are preaching some sort of nonsense that goes against the truth. Jesus said this truth is like a sword that has a blade that's sharp on both sides. In other words, it will cut this way and it will cut that way. We don't need to be tolerant of anything outside of the truth because the truth is just the truth. We need more people that will hold fast to the word of God. I've heard people say that there's some verses in the Bible and they call them clobber verses, as in we use them to clobber people down. I wish they were clobber verses because I wish I could clobber some sentences and some people who call themselves Christians these days, talking about we can do this, it's okay. Listen, we need to understand that the word of God is true and everything else is a lie. So what did Jesus ask them to do as we look at our third point here? It's found in verse number 16 and there's only one word. Repent. And that is the best sermon that you could possibly hear. It's the same message that he was sent on this earth to preach, repent. And it's the same message that we should be preaching in 2023, repent. And it's not just for sinners. Yes, it is for sinners, but it's for saints also. He was talking to a church. He said, you must repent. You must turn away. You must make a decision to say, I'm not going to think like that anymore. I'm not going to behave like that anymore. You should repent. And repent is such an offensive word. When people hear repent, they're thinking, no, I don't want to do that anymore. And people say, listen, Jesus ate with sinners and tax collectors. Yes, he did. But he came with a message of repentance. They say Jesus uh, uh, didn't condemn uh, the prostitute who was caught. Yes, but after he says, listen, I don't condemn you. He said, go and sin no more. People don't like that repentance message anymore. The old message that Jesus came to preach was repent. And listen, as long as I have this office, as long as I have breath in my lungs and strength in my body, I'm going to ensure that I hold on to the word and I preach to people to tell them to repent. 
Listen, you could be coming to church for six months, six years, and listen, you're going to hear me regularly say, repent. Because I know, I've been around the world, I can see there's people that are able to come to church and do church activities, but they're living a life that's contrary to the Word of God. Because like my friend who spoke to me saying, I don't see nothing wrong with that. You may not, but the world may not, but Jesus does. Can you say amen in this place? And it says in our text, to him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna to eat. And I give him a white stone and on the stone a new name written, which no one knows except him who receives it. Now I love this promise. Now the, the letters to these churches, uh, uh, they have a, 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 a criticism. They have a commendation first, sorry, then a criticism. But it has a promise at the end of it as well. And here's the promise says you'll have the hidden manna to eat. The hidden manna is the perfect provision of God. In John 6, verse number 33, the Bible says, I am the bread of life. This is Jesus. I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger. And he who believes in me shall never thirst. So when Jesus says, if you will hold on, if you would repent, you would have the hidden manna. We all know the manna from heaven is what fed the children of Israel. But Jesus said they ate that manna and died. He says, I am the bread of life. Jesus will supply himself to you and you will have everlasting life if you partake of the bread of life. That's part of the promise. If you overcome, you will have the hidden manna to eat. It also says, if you overcome, I will give you a white stone. And the white stone can have many different applications back in those days. But if you're to kind of summarize it, it is an assurance of blessing. It's saying, I give you, it's like a ticket into heaven almost. I give you this blessed assurance that you have this white stone. And on that stone, it says a new name will be written on that, uh, which no one knows except him who receives it. And I love this so much because this is where Jesus is showing that he wants to have a, a personal and intimate relationship with you. And the only thing I can liken it to uh, is that if you were to search for my phone uh, and you were to look for my wife's name, you wouldn't find it there. Not because I don't love her. Not because I don't know my wife's name, because I have a different name for my wife. Can you say amen in this place? Come on now. A name that only she knows what it means. Come on now. So if you look for my phone, uh, you wouldn't find... Keisha, you wouldn't find Nikisha, come on now, you wouldn't find Mrs. Dua, you wouldn't find Mrs. Pastor, some people have called her, come on now, you wouldn't find any of that, I've got a special name for her, come on, (laughs) special name for her, Jesus said, I'm going to give you a stone, and it's going to be, have a new name for you, because that's the name he's given you, because you know, you have that intimate name, come on now, you have that name where it's just between you two. That name where you just, <laughs> praise God. That name where it's just, you know what I'm talking about. When, and when you hear that name, there's a little smile, there's a little giggle. No one else knows what you're talking about. Come on now. <laughs> you married folks, you know what I'm talking about. If you don't have, make sure you get one tonight. Come on now. He says, I'm going to give you that name. Jesus knows you personally. He knows you intimately. And he's got a special name for you. He'll mention that. Somebody around, but why is he calling you that? Don't worry. Between me and Jesus. Come on now. (laughs) Between me and Jesus. To those who overcome. To those who hold fast. And I'm preaching this because like I said, this is to a specific church in history. 
but it has application for us today because there's so much out there. There's so much funky doctrine out there that you have to beware that we don't stumble, that we don't fall into this compromisation. You know, sometimes you, you hear on the news, um, something has happened and, uh, and they say, oh, and this is what the church says. You know, they're speaking about the Church of England. I feel so... I feel like they, should, they shouldn't use that word anymore. This is what the church says, because the church of Jesus Christ does not say what he just said. Come on now. I used to like Justin Welby. Um, uh, but, uh, you know, he's, uh, he's, he's the bishop. He is the head of the church of England, so the church of this state. Um, one thing that happened, if you know church history, when the persecution, it's weird to say, but when the persecution of Christians ended and when the state kind of merged the religion, that's where it all went wrong. It feels weird to say that. When persecution ended, that's where the troubles began. Because what happened when Constantine came, if you know your history, Constantine came as a Roman emperor and said, listen, I'm giving Christians this new status where you have a protected status if you're a Christian. I had a dream where there was a burning cross and he used that to go and fight his battles. He believed every war that he won was because of this cross that he held. He said, everyone that has a shield, have a cross painted on it. He goes to battle under a cross and used to win his wars. So he said, listen, from now on, the state religion is Christianity. That may sound good. Listen, if, if Richie Sunak today said, listen, the state religion is Christianity, we're going to push it. Listen, we should be worried. Because before, when you was persecuted, to be a Christian was a heart issue. You're like, I could die for this, but I'm still going to serve Jesus. That's a heart issue. But now when you have an elevated status to be a Christian, you're favoured. Now to be a Christian, it's like, oh, well, I just want to get a job. I just want to have a house. I have this status, so that's why I'm become a Christian. So that's when now the world and Christianity starts to merge, and that's where all these things come. And then the Roman Catholics, Roman Catholics came, and all sorts of things because there was this merger of the world and uh, Christianity. Now we know that Christianity is like a boat in the ocean. We're here in the ocean. As long as we're on top of the ocean, it's fine. But when the ocean starts to come in the boat, there's a problem. There's a problem. So church, the message to us today, from the message we hear from the church in Pergamos is, let's hold fast. Hold fast to the faith. And let's be overcomers. And we will partake of the hidden manner. And we'll receive the white stone with a new name on it. Let's hold fast to the truth and as we stand in this generation. Let's bow our heads. Let's close our eyes in this place. Thank you, Jesus. The compromising church.